Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Last week when I was recording the podcast, I was reminded <laughs> that this race called the Arrowhead 135 not only existed, but it was actually being ran like as I was recording. And this is the absolute, it has to be the coldest event on earth this year or at least in north america um the arrowheads ran from international falls which is right on the border of minnesota and canada and it's ran 135 miles through the northern minnesotan woods and this year they held it during the polar vortex which essentially just means they held it when the temperatures were like negative 35 as a low and like negative 20 as a high and these people these ultra marathoners and they were also like a long distance bike ride as well they went and stepped up to that challenge just try to comprehend that like i'm gonna go run 135 miles in the coldest place in North America in the coldest time of year, which just so happens to be this like incredibly freezing cold polar vortex. It's insane, man. It's insane to even think about. Um, it made me flash back. So when I was in college one day at University of Iowa, one day it was probably negative 25. And I remember leaving my nice warm bed with like five blankets on me um out my nice warm apartment uh, and i crossed the street and i stood at the bus stop because i had to take a bus to get to campus and i'm standing at this bus stop for no more than like three minutes and i was like this is the dumbest thing in the world i am calling it quits today like <laughs> i'm going back to that warm bed and skipping my classes um, and that's exactly what I did. So that was my like three minutes in the polar vortex. Um, today's guest, Ryan Wanless, he spent 56 hours in that kind of extreme weather. It's insane, man. And this podcast, he's going to tell you all about his training and like how he handled all the obstacles and he did an amazing job. I mean, he came out of it in one piece with everything right like with all of his digits and he doesn't have frostbite he has his nose still like all of that which you know is kind of ridiculous to even say out loud but it's a serious serious thing when you're running 135 miles in the coldest weather you can possibly imagine um and it's kind of funny so here's how i i want to tell you how i reached out to ryan i was reminded that this race was going on so if you listen to last week's episode that was part of it. I, I was like, whoa, I forgot about the Arrowhead 135. Are they actually doing that? Oh, my God, they are. <laughs> um, and so I went on their website and I looked at the results and I was like, you know what? Who's the baddest man or woman on this course? And so I'm like, who is the person who was last place? Because if you're last in ultra running, that means you are out there the absolute longest you were the one taking on the course longer than anyone else 
Like you are the absolute badass of the course if you are last place. And so I just so happened to be Ryan. And I, I found someone named Ryan Wanless on Facebook and I sent him a message and I said, hey man, so I think you're the guy who survived the arrowhead for 56 hours and I'd love to talk to you for the pod, for my podcast. And he was nice enough to say yes. And it's one of my favorite episodes. Ryan's super cool. Um, just has an amazing story to share. So if you're interested in Arrowhead or you're just interested in people making the seemingly impossible possible, then you guys are going to love this episode. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, you can check out all of our previous episodes, obviously, uh, by typing in like a Bigfoot to all the podcast stuff and all the social media um but yeah let's get into it this is the the man who endured the coldest race in north america ryan wanless and man i gotta ask you a question i'm sure you've been asked by like everybody over the last week but like have you thought out yet yeah um you know, thought out, have about two fingers that have a little bit of numbness left in them, but, you know, really not too bad. And I guess it's something I expected. And, um, gosh, just just came through it uh, feeling way better than, you know, I could have imagined. I thought my feet would get really cold and wasn't the case. Just, um, I guess, the, the motion provided enough heat to, to keep me warm. Yeah. Was this, uh, was this your first arrowhead? Yeah, it was my first arrowhead. Um, you know, I'd heard about it a few years ago and had just never thought a race like that was something that I could, you know, would ever get to that level or or join. And then um, things just kind of fell in line this year and I submitted an application and, you know, got an email back saying, come on up. That's awesome, man. Dude, so I guess if people are out there and they haven't, they don't know what arrowhead 135 is can you kind of like give us a brief description um you know the kind of the coldest place in the country decided uh what can we do to get <laughs> you know a hundred and some crazy people to visit our town in the middle of winter and they thought well if we you know have them start here and go 130 ish miles down to the casino maybe people will come and bring some of their friends and family and maybe we'll make some money off them and uh <laughs> Started the Arrowhead 135, I guess. I don't know if that's the official history. (laughs) Then their other thought was like, we're also going to do this in the coldest time of like at the like during the coldest time of the year. Yeah, people love a challenge. You know, if it was the middle of summer, you know, people probably complain about the flies. So that's true. In the winter, I've been up there, man. International Falls. I love that town. But yeah, you're right. In the middle of summer, I've tried to go on a run, and you're like swatting your face the whole time yep yep not in the winter (laughs) flies i don't think anything can live there in the winter i'm pretty sure yeah i didn't i didn't see a whole lot along the trail as far as uh life went yeah dude okay we gotta get into it because last weekend or last week was the polar vortex and it's like i'm just checking the weather all the time my dad just moved to wisconsin so i'm like trying to make sure he's okay and it's like negative 30s with wind chills of like negative 60 
And I'm checking this. I'm like, whoa, that's so crazy. And I think somewhere in the back of my mind, there was a voice that's like, isn't that one race in Minnesota going on right now? And and my like logical brain was like, they probably canceled that. I gotta imagine, but they didn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they they didn't. You, you know, you probably two to three weeks out, we start staring at the at the weather, and it it just looked cold. And then about a week out, you get your friends and your family start you know asking you like, oh, what you know what's gonna happen if happen if they cancel it? And you're just like, I, I don't think that's an option i've never heard of that you know and they're like oh you're gonna freeze you're gonna die and you know i'd reached out to so many other arrowhead uh family leading up to this race asking them questions texting phone calls you name it one of the guys i talked to was john storkamp i think he's won it seven or eight times and finished i don't know how many more and you know my friends and family would be like you're gonna die and i'd be like no, I got advice from John Stormcap. You know, I think I'm going to be okay. Yeah. So that's kind of my attitude going into it. Yeah. What? Okay. So yeah, I do want to hear about friends and family. That was the one kind of question I was, I wrote down. I'm like, what do you, when you tell your non runner friends that you signed up for this thing and you're describing what it is and when it is, what like their reactions seriously are like, you might die during this. Yeah, you get a lot of you might die, a lot of just, you know, really have have zero clue. Um, you, you know, you just get some some just crazy questions. Uh, you, you know, you just you just kind of try to give a canned answer and just kind of, you know, gloss over it. You don't want any of those thoughts sneaking into your mind. I, I was just like, you know, I want to be involved in the toughest arrowhead that ever was, you know. I, I looked forward to it being cold and be like, oh, what you what year did you finish Arrowhead? And I'd be like, <laughs> oh, the cold year. And they're like, wow, you know. Yeah. So I, I really use that as a motivating factor for me, um, you know, going into it. Yeah. Yeah. Was I mean, what? So you didn't let any concerns get in necessarily. I mean, I guess you have to probably be prepared, but you don't want to be freaking out. Yeah, and you know the night the night before they have a spaghetti dinner and a final check in of your gear and whatnot. And you're sitting in a, you know almost like a gymnasium type of a place with 150 other people that think what you're doing tomorrow morning is completely normal. So um, <laughs> you know you I guess you sit with a bunch of crazies and all of a sudden crazy becomes reality. Yeah. Um, so, so so that was you know kind of reassuring. We're all just looking around being like. You know, we, we, we get to do this. How awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. How do you, how do you go about preparing for this? I'm always the worst at preparing. They give you a list of mandatory gear and about two months out, you know, you start going through it, making sure you have it. And of course I had a, didn't have a negative 20 or below bag. So you ordered that and ordered a bivy and, um, it was just kind of nonchalant and we didn't really get much cold or snow down in Sioux Falls. So a few weeks out, I was like, Oh, I have to get more work with my, uh, pulp, which is the sled you pull. So I, you know, went up to Northern Minnesota about three hours, um, to Fergus Falls and they, I knew they had a snowmobile trail. So I went up there for a few days and pulled it around and there it was just flat and icy. So 
it pulled really easy and you know I was like oh I have no worries and then I got home and all of a sudden we got like a six inch snowstorm and I was like great so I five o'clock at night you know tied the polk on and went for a lap around the city about 25 26 miles and got home around midnight and with six seven inches of snow I mean it was like you know you're hauling 200 pounds of dead weight behind you and I was like holy smokes you know it difference between snow or no snow really really matters um and then you start thinking you know nutrition and how can i eat and you're reading all these race blogs from all the other um runners or bikers and it's like you know sugar 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 candy um how, how am i going to get access to this i have two pairs of gloves on i can't open anything up um so i you know you you try doing a little preparing of you know, ripping the bags open with your mouth and, you know, trying to figure out what you can eat or what you're going to want to eat or what will even not freeze solid. Um, you know, so you, sh- you show up like that and I'd made some water mistakes in the beginning and, you know, I'd set, I set bottles out on my deck, but it only got to be five below. So with only being five below, some of my bottles, you know, just never froze. But when it got to be negative 30, yeah, that was a little bit different story. Yeah. So you just, you know, you make do with what you've, you've got. People came in from Florida and Brazil and, you know, they didn't have anywhere near, you know, the cold training that I had access to, but still just, you know, felt like I was just kind of winging it one step at a time. Yeah. Isn't it ultra running? It's just such a weird, interesting sport to me because it's almost like you train yourself to be uncomfortable and so in situations where you're like, oh, it just snowed six inches, I have to get out there now. Like this is the this is the time to get out there for my training. You know, whereas like other sports, most places would be like, oh no, you know what? Today's not today's not the day. We'll take this day off. It, you know. Yep, that that's so so true. I I always get people that are like, Oh, you you must love to suffer or you're just really good at suffering and getting through it, and it's like I don't think you get it. You know, it's it's not suffering out there. It's enjoyment. Um, this is what we look forward to. We look forward to, you know, pretending for the day that we're the, you know, the baddest person out there. Um, you know, just just getting things done. I I truly am not suffering on the trail. I'm truly enjoying it. I might not yeah. look like it, but but deep down, it's you know, it's kind of why you go to work every day. It's so you can get these you know trail miles in or these these events in yeah definitely man well i gotta say you were the baddest man in at least in the united states at that point you know (laughs) (laughs) uh and and i'm also imagining you in like a rocky montage like out there running with your sled training and stuff but then also like trying to open candy with your mouth you know (laughs) and then like your wife walks and she's like what are you doing you're like i'm training trying to figure this out Yep, I had a I had a love hate with the uh, um, the waffles. You know they have they have this nice little tear here thing, but in thirty below it just rips the little corner off, and then you're just oh man, it, it's it's frustrating. Yeah, what'd you go with? Like, what do you do for nutrition? Um, I bought Twinkies. It was the first time I bought those in twenty five years, and um, believe it or not, they, they're they're perfect. It's just almost like puffed up sugar and they don't freeze. You can bite them I totally at 30 below. That. Yeah. 
Twinkies, um, nuclear holocaust, and like 30 below. Yep. I did I did a lot of gummies. Um, anything gummy at the store that day or the couple days before I just bought and was, you know, a handful of those would go in your mouth and, you know, thaw out and you could just, you know, eat those. But I don't know. I read somewhere that someone was like, oh, gummy this, gummy that. So I was like, oh, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Um, I'd brought some beef jerky that I carried 135 miles and never got a chance to eat. <laughs> um, wow, man. Yeah, just, it was, it was, I just, it was basically like I had a candy store in my sled. Yeah. Yeah. How are you eating like every 30 minutes or what? Yeah, you're probably just grabbing a handful of, you know, of something every 30 minutes. Um, my plan would be is I'd, you know, pull and if I got a little hot, I'd run back to the sled and, you know, try to get something to drink. And you could only really, you know, other than the first day, you could only really get your gloves off for a couple minutes at a time before you had to put them back on and, you know, warm up your hands. I had two, two different layers of gloves on. So then you'd run back, grab a drink, and then you'd go back and pull, and then you'd run back and, you know, grab some food and stuff some of your pockets with that. And every time you could just think about it, you should just really be putting food in your in your face. And, uh, you know, that was kind of my plan. Wow, man. Okay, so take us to International Falls, like the start line. Is there a feeling of fear, like anticipation? I know you already said, like, it's a group of crazy people as is, you know, so they're just like, this is just a regular Monday for us. But, but what was that like? Um, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of just a helter skelter type of, uh, moment. We, we pulled up to start line. I was like, Oh, I didn't fill up my water bottle. So we turned around and went to the gas station and mistake one, um, got water out of the cooler and filled up my water bottles <laughs> with it. And then pulled back in, and you know, we parked, I don't know, 50 yards away from the start line. And I opened the back of the, the tailgate and put my sled on the ground. And as soon as I did that, the fireworks went off. So I knew that the bikers had started. Um, you know, they said release the hounds. And I knew I had about five minutes before, you know, my running wave started. And then I got hooked up, filled my stuff up. I'd actually... Um, filled one of the bottles up with like 30 ounces of Ensure, which was, you know, I don't know, five or six boxes at 210 calories a box. And I was like, well, that'll be good, you know. And then went in, checked in. And, and just as I was coming out of the building for check-in, you know, they had released the runners. And you look at some of these people in the front, and there's 10 or 15 people that took off kind of at a jog and a run. And I was like, you know, wow, these guys are really getting after it. And I'd read about, um, you know, the first couple of miles, all these people pulling over because they just way overdressed and got to the start line too early and, you know, just started overheating and sweating, you know, the first two miles. I was like, yeah, that's not going to be me. So I think, I think I was, you know, in the back five when I, you know, started and most people were walking back to their cars. Um, and, you know, the, once you start hearing that sound of that sled behind you, it just that and the squeaking of the poles in the snow, it's, you know, it's just kind of game on. It was, it was really exciting to think, you know, um, I've got 60, 60 hours that I paid for. I might as well chew them up. Yeah. 
Yeah, man. So you're going how long? I mean, are you with people at the beginning and then do they start kind of like, you know how it is in ultra races, like eventually you just look around, you're like, oh my God, I'm by myself. Were you by yourself for most of the race or were you always kind of like around people? The first, the first part, um, pulling into the, I guess the gateway aid station, I was always within sight of someone and a lot of times talking, I'd met some guys, um, in the past that we're doing it and we ran into each other at a race called Hitchcock in Iowa and talked about it. So I, you know, kind of filled in with them and there's a lot of experienced people in this. So they, you know, they, they know what 17, 30 minute miles is, you know, and so everyone's got a pretty good pace after the first mile or two. And, um, you know, not a whole lot of people just blowing your doors off or, you know, you're not working to catch people because, it's a pretty experienced field and people just really settle, settle into their pace. Um, but after that gateway, yeah, then the race kind of opened up a lot and you really only saw one or two people that, um, you recognize, you know, throughout most of the race, everyone had their position and it was just, you know, just putting in the work to get to the finish after that. Yeah. Did you know, I mean, I'm looking at the results right now and I mean, it has to be, I, I don't know the numbers. I haven't done the numbers, but it has to be less than like 15% actually finished. For the on foot category is 18% okay. finisher rate. Um, <laughs> yeah. When you pulled out a gateway, you know, that was the first kind of place where you could go in and get warm and get some food and, and restocked And about five miles before gateway, which would have been about mile 30, somewhere in there everything I had that was liquid was frozen solid. <laughs> um, you know, so at, you know, t- let's say 20 minute miles, you're, you know, that's an hour and a half to tow plus of, you know, n- no liquid. And, you know, at five miles out, like I sat down on my sled and was just like, I, I made the biggest mistake. My, r- my race is done. You know, I'm just, I'm over. I've got to, you know, talk to these friends and family and, and be like, yeah, I went to this 135 mile race and I didn't even make it 30 miles. You know, I was a hundred miles short of the finish line and I just crashed. And it was just like this huge pity party for myself. You know, I was embarrassed. Uh, my wife had given up her time and, and all this. And, you know, how do you face someone like that? And sat down and just, you know, kept shoving food in my face and shoving food in my face. And, got back up after about five minutes and was like, you know, I, I can't just sit here. Um, you know, just get to the store. So I, you know, just kept going. And, you know, by the time I walked in the store, I was, I was, you know, pretty tired, but, but knew I wasn't done anymore. And then once I got in a store, you know, it's like just a gas station that opens up and provides you with soup and barbecues, um, hot dog, stuff like that. And after 30 minutes in there, I just felt like a completely new person. I felt like you know, this is now only a hundred mile race and it starts right now. And, um, you know, added a little bit of clothing because it was dark when I pulled out of there. And when I, when I left that store, I, I was feeling, you know, I was feeling like the race had just started and that first 30 miles was just, or 35 miles was just, you know, just a bad dream I had. And, you know, now's really the time to get going. And, you get away from that store about five miles and that temperature probably dropped 10 or 15 degrees. And then that's when you started, you know, seeing the first problems. You started seeing a few they have snowmobiles that cruise the course that you'll see every couple hours. And, 
you know, you started seeing them a little bit more frequent and you started seeing them pulling, um, you know, people, racers were starting to get on them because you, because everyone had all these blinkies on. So when a snowmobile would come by and the snowmobile was blinking, you knew a racer, you know, was, was calling it quits. And it was like, if you didn't leave that gas station completely dry, um, that 10, 15 degree drop in temperature over that next hour, just, you know, just killed people. And, you know, you start coming up to people that, you know, their water was freezing up and they were doing an emergency bivy, you know, trying to hold their water bladder to get it to thaw out. Jeez. And um, going into that first night, it, you know, it was really tough. And you just, you knew in the back of your head that, you know, half of the people that started were no longer, you know, s- still on the trail with the amount of um, snowmobilers going by picking up people. And then um, there was, uh, I think it was like Sheep Ranch or something it was called, and you cross a road there, and about a mile after the road, all of a sudden, I, you know, start seeing people coming towards me. And I was like, oh, this isn't in the out and back or anything. You know, what is this? And, you know, I said to a guy, I was like, well, you know, you, you okay? And he's like, yeah, I got to call it. You know, I'm just, I'm frozen solid. Um, you know, I got to quit. Didn't dress right. And, you know, he crossed the road and went two miles. And, you know, the only way out was either to go another you know, 25 miles or turn around and backtrack and he turned around and backtrack. And then I ran into a couple people that had did that, you know, really took pride in the self extraction, um, you know, element of the course. Yeah. How do you, how do you know when you're just like with the difference between just being really, really cold versus being frozen to the point where it's like dangerous? You know, I never, I never, I don't think I ever came anywhere near close to that. Um, but judging from the looks on, you know, some of these pa- people's faces, I guess when you get there, you know, you you kind of know and you, you really have to be self-assessing um, yourself. I was constantly, you know, making fists in my gloves, you know, checking for that, always moving my toes. Um, I'd tap my shoe with my pole every once in a while just to make sure you know, I, I would feel my, my toes and, you know, they weren't just, they just didn't slip away from me, um, there, but I was constantly, you know, pulling buffs up over my face, making sure any snow that was on my face, you know, would melt off. And, you know, you're really worried about the, your, your nose. You don't want to just end up with a black, yeah. a black tip for a nose, yeah. but, um, I, they really stress the frostbite and the taking care of yourself. Um, you know, and it's just something that's on your mind the whole time. Yeah. So you're constantly kind of thinking about that, doing your checks. Um, I've, I've ran in like really hot races before and they always say like the heat stuff, it can like, it can just come on in you know, a matter of minutes. Is it kind of the same way with cold? I, I, I guess so. I, you know, I just, I really don't know. I, probably was in half the race with my, you know, I had three different layers on all of the zippers and I don't think I made it 30 minutes without either zipping up something or zipping down something else. It was just, I just was constantly monitoring my, you know, my heat and just, um, I really tried to stay on that aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and then is it important not to sweat, like work on, like making sure you're not sweating because, you know, if that happens, it might cool your body down 
even further? Yeah, and especially for the pace I was going, maybe if you're going to go all out, you know, and try to race and and win the whole thing, maybe your sweat isn't as big a deal, but just because you're you're working that much harder, you know, going up the hills and and all that, but at at my pace, all I I mean, I just concentrated on you know, not sweating. I'd rather slow down, take a layer off, um, than than end up sweating. I just knew if I if I was sweating, my race was going to be over. Yeah, yeah. Wow, man. That's. I just. I think you know. There's all these articles right now about this event. You know, I'm looking at one from REI, I think, uh, and I think just people it kind of captured the imagination of a lot of people around the country because there were also, you know, so many news reports about like, stay in your homes, you know, be safe, like all this stuff. And, you know, if you told someone who's not, wasn't involved in this, like, Hey, you know, they ran 135 miles in the polar vortex. People would be like, that's incredibly dangerous. And yet I think most of the athletes involved were mentally prepared to take on the challenges and like had the equipment, but I don't know, is that correct or not? Yeah, it's correct. And if you read, if you read some of the comments on that REI, you know, they call us stupid and we're putting other people's, you know, lives at risk and, you know, all this stuff from people that just really have no clue. I mean, in international falls, people get up every day and go to work and, people live in, in an environment, you know, that's harsh and they know how to, you know, plan for it. We, we have fuel for our stoves. We have an emergency bivy, you know, we had fire starters, extra water, you know, food. We had, you know, we have some of the best clothing on the market. Um, I don't think there was anyone at that starting line, you know, that thought, you know, I'm putting someone else's life at risk. There was, you know, people just, just don't have the understanding and and i guess for us people up there we you know we also don't have the energy to argue with them it's just easier to you know to just kind of skip over those yeah those comments yeah that makes sense man um uh, it's just but it is like even (laughs) it is just something it is kind of like you have to see it to believe it almost yeah that's for sure (laughs) Um, how did you, how do you keep your water from not freezing over then? Cause you talked about that being an issue for a lot of people, including yourself. How do you, how do you make sure your water, like, I'm sure it's something you also learn along the way, but yeah. How do you, how do you get that to work? I used uh 64, um, double walled, um, hydro flask and then a 32 ounce double walled hydro flask. And after that first checkpoint, the only thing that went in them was the hottest water, okay. you know, I could get. Um, and then I, when I get into an A station, I'd fill it with the hottest water I could find. And then before I leave, I dump it out and refill it with the hottest water. So it was already primed. And then, you know, that seemed to, I had one fill up that, you know, that lasted me like 20 plus hours and was still warm to drink. Um, nice you know, afterwards. So that was kind of a learning experience in the blogs. They tell you to do that, but on race day, I just, I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sure there's so many lessons, you know, that you read about and then some, some like you internalize and some you have to just figure out for yourself. 
Um, so you got through the first night, like, I don't know, eventually you're completely alone in the Minnesota woods, I would imagine, right? Oh, yeah. How was yeah. that? Is it, were you intimidated by it or was it peaceful or a little bit of both? Um, for me, it was extremely, it was extremely peaceful. The darks never intimidated me. Um, I ran a lot of this race just with, um, on my headlamp, the red LED light, um, you know, some people, some people seem to light up the trail for a hundred, 200 yards, you know, with so many lumens, it was just like, we can't even fit how many lumens this flashlight is on our package, you know, and you could see him miles away. And, you know, I, I just had no, I didn't need to see a hundred yards. I needed to see, you know, four or five feet in front of me and just, you know, concentrate on the trail um, you know, it's, it's dark, not much to see, you know, after the first mile, all the other miles are kind of, you know, kind of like it. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, it was just, it was just real peaceful, plenty of time to sort out, you know, anything and everything you've got going on in your mind. Um, try to, try to stay positive the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have like, are, in the moments where you are getting a bit negative, like when earlier when you thought your race was over, do you have something like a strategy that brings you out of that mindset? Um, f- for this race, I just remember at the at the pre-race meeting, um, you know, the director gets up there and he's like, you know, we take two thirds veterans, one third rookies. Rookies, don't worry, we don't expect you to finish on your first time. It takes most people two to three times. And to me, that was, you know, extremely motivating that he was going to just take my money and not expect me to finish. Yeah. Um, so I was just like, I didn't show up to start. I, I showed up at the beginning of the race, you know, to finish this thing. So I, I really use that motivation. And I know in his heart he wants everyone to finish. But, um, you know, that was the comment that came out. And I just I just stuck to that. And I was like. Anytime it would get tough, you know, I was like, you know, rookies aren't supposed to finish. And then, you know, I kind of have this, uh, this other mindset of like, you know, this is my, you know, this is a day I'm out here, two days, three days. Like, I'm not allowed to have a bad day when I'm out here. You know, I might, when my water froze, you know, I was allowed to have a bad 10, 15 minutes, but I wasn't allowed to say, you know, oh, I had a bad day. Yeah. Every day's got to be, you know, a good day and you're just going to have brief fragments of that time, you know, that you had a bad experience or a bad 10 or 15 minutes, but don't, you know, don't look at that and don't dwell on that. I'm um, just remember the other 23 and a half hours was good. Um, and you're just out there having a good day. Yeah, that's awesome. I this guy I work with who's actually from Minnesota, so maybe it's like a northern midwestern thing uh he was talking about this idea of where he's like did you really have a bad day or did you have a bad five minutes that you're milking you know and he told me that and i thought i was like whoa what a good philosophy right like it really is just a way to be real with yourself where you're like did you just have a bad five minutes that ruined your day like you let it ruin your day or did you actually have like a completely bad day Yep, I I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, you see it on, you know, you see it on social media more when someone complains about something in their life, and you know it's tough, and then everyone comes out and 
Next thing you know, there's 300 comments, you know, giving support because the person's down. But yet, you know, someone just comes out and takes a picture of the sunrise or something like that and was just like, you know, going to have a good day today. And you might get like 20 thumbs up. People seem to gravitate towards, you know, you know, the extreme. So now everything is, everything just seems to be, you know, extreme when it comes to a bad day. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he also told me he made the mistake of asking his wife that when she got home from work. <laughs> he was like, I, I, I made the mistake of asking my wife that, and she just got really pissed off. And I was like, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, I mean, I think I mean, you're 100% correct, and I think that's a mindset that is probably learned through experiences like this. Um or any experience that's difficult or kind of like outside the norm, but man. Yeah. So, so you're going through that. You're thinking about that. Can you kind of like, I've, I've been up to Northern Minnesota and it's one of the most beautiful places on earth, but can you kind of like try to describe what the trail's like? Cause I'm not a hundred percent sure what that's like. I know I had, uh, um, Richard Cresser on the podcast and he had run this race before and he described the end of it and it sounded like it was just like one long straightaway for like miles and miles. Yeah. Um, the beginning and you know, you're kind of weaving around, but it's, it's, it's pretty flat. And then maybe right before the halfway point, they give you like three or four little Hills to go in and you think, Oh, you know, is this, is this going to be the hilliest it's, it's going to be. And then you get into the halfway point, Mel George's, and you leave. And the first five miles has like one or two, you know, a little bit decent hills to them. And you're just like, okay, I'm done with the hilly part. And then all of a sudden, it's just hill after hill after hill. And the nice thing about um, when you're pulling your pulk is you can jump in your pulk to go sledding down these hills. So some of these hills, you're probably hitting 30 miles an hour you know, going down and you're using, you know, you sit on your bag and use your feet up front to steer and your poles out back. And throughout the night, you just hear people just, you know, hooting and hollering as they're, you know, jumping in these sleds and just racing down these hills. And it's, it, you know, really makes the climb up the hill that much more enjoyable because you can only imagine, you know, this nice straight shot going down and, you know, all the speed you're going to pick up. And then right before you come to a stop, you just kind of pop up and, you keep going, um, and that's really tough. And then you get to the TP, which is kind of the last checkpoint, about I don't know, 26 or so miles out. And coming out of the TP, they have a hill that they call Wake 'Em Up Hill, and you're it's so steep, you're you could easily put just put your hands down and go up on all fours. And you have this you know heavily weighted sled just trying to keep you at the bottom of it. But once you get to the top, it is one of the most beautiful downhill sledding things you can imagine. Um, you know, you you probably are hitting 35 miles an hour for like 100 yards on that sled going down, and it's just a nice straight shot. And then after that, yeah, it does get into the um, the straightaways where you're you know you're tired. You've been out there 40 plus hours. And you'll look alongside the trail and they'll, you know, there'll be a pine tree up like a half a mile and you'll in your, in your head, you're like, that's a racer. He's sitting down, you know, he's tired. I'm, I'm going to catch up to him. 
so you put your head down and you know you're just going along and all of a sudden you get up to where you think you saw a guy sitting there and he's not there and you're just like i i know he was right here and you look around and there's no footprints there's you know there's just there's nothing and you know that's the part where you have to reel your mind back in and just be like oh okay i just was seeing things you know don't don't just focus on the fact that like no i really did see someone there i don't know where he is um that's kind of one of the mind benders i guess that 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 last part of the race um throws out at you but also in the middle part of the race you hear kids like on a school playground through most of the second night, you know, it's, it's so odd. You just, you just got to keep telling yourself, you know, this is something I'm imagining. This isn't real. There's not kids out here doing ring around the rosy, um, you know, but you would swear you hear laughter and games and, and this, and it's, you know, you just, you just have to kind of smile and be like, you know, this is kind of what I'm out here to experience. Uh, you know, the minor hallucinations and, um, but I know it's not real and just don't waste effort, you know, looking, trying to look for the source of these sounds or anything like that. Just, you know, put your head down and, and keep going. Dude, is there anything creepier in the middle of the woods than kids playing ring around the rosy? <laughs> that freaked me out. No, there, there's nothing creepier. So, <laughs> yeah yeah i would just flash to like all the terrifying like scary movies i've ever seen in my life i'm like oh my god (laughs) we're here like i i anytime they're in a scary movie there's a creepy little like ghost kid that's the scariest thing hands down yeah i i agree you just you know you just keep keep putting one foot in front of the other (laughs) did you how much did you sleep during this I got I pulled pulled into the halfway point and went and I spent I think an hour and a half there. I don't know if I got thirty or forty five minutes of sleep. Um, people are coming and going and talking and you know you're hanging up your stuff to get dried out. You're just not really sure on that part. And then in night two, about midnight, the temperature dropped like fifteen degrees, and I was with two other guys and we were just like. About every 10, 15 miles, they have little lean-tos for the snowmobilers in case your snowmobile breaks down. You can walk to these lean-tos and sit in one of them and you know, kind of be out of the cold. And we made the decision we're going to you know, try to get an hour of sleep. We're just slowing down a little bit and just thought an hour of sleep would do us well before the next temperature dropped. You know, at 6 a.m., it'd, it'd be negative 35 or negative 40, we felt like. Jeez. So... We go into this lean-to, and it's just just a boulder field for the ground. It's just rocky as can be, and you throw out your your sleeping pad and then pull out your bag and your bivy, and you, you don't even care. You just curl up in a little ball. And we'd set an alarm, I think, for an hour, and one of the other guys got cold and at 50 minutes got up. And you know, once he got up and started going, I was just like, ah, I'm not going to try to sleep for 10 more minutes. So I got up and got going. Um so probably realistically, I got about two hours ish of, of sleep for the race. Wow, man! Wow, yeah, that's. Uh, what was the like when you think back? What was the was there any moment that stood out as like that was my f- absolute favorite part of the race? Um, 
probably Mel, probably just ma- leaving Mel George is, I, I don't know. I read a stat or something. Maybe it was the year before. If you made it out of Mel George's, you had like an 80% chance to finish the race. And I was just like, if I can make it out of here, um, you know, I've, I've got this thing. Now it's just one foot in front of, front of the other for the other 70 ish miles or so. Um, so, so that was probably the, the highlight, you know, just, just getting back out of Mel George's. Yeah. Yeah. What, what about like vice versa? What was the lowest moment? Was it when your water froze earlier? Yeah, I was at the mile 30 ish when my, when my water froze. Yeah. Nice man, dude. So, okay. So you get in and you're like approaching the finish line. Um, are you the last person on the course? Yep. I'm the, the last person on the course. DFL. Um, that's like an honor in ultra running though. Yep. They, they call it the lantern rouge up there. Ooh, classy. So I got an, <laughs> yeah, it does sound pretty classy. So I got an extra patch when I, when I finished, which I thought was pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, so is everyone waiting for you at the finish line, or like, what what was the finish like for you? Um, you know, coming in that last few miles, you know, the snowmobilers had made their last sweep of the course, and I knew it was probably the last time I was going to see them. So I, you know, I flagged them down and gave them a big hug. Um, you know, these guys are out volunteering for three days, you know, riding forty miles at a clip on their snowmobile, you know, half freezing just to make sure we're safe and have a good experience. And, um, you know, I gave each a hug, telling them how much it meant. And then um, at two miles, they were both just sitting there waiting for me and, you know, said our goodbyes. And then it's kind of a uphill two miles to the, it's, it's like a resort casino in the middle of nowhere. Um, so you go up there and you come around the corner and there's, you know, my wife and there's a lady that's been ringing a cowbell for, 40 plus hours probably your arms are probably just yeah. huge yeah <laughs> um and about 15 people you know that had stuck around to you know say congratulations and um so, soon as i crossed the finish line everyone was just like oh my god your wife was the hardest working person at all the aid stations like she worked so hard and then i'm just sitting there like all i'm hearing is them telling me how how awesome my wife was you know helping all the runners and and all this stuff. So that was, you know, that was a really nice, really nice to hear. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I got it. So I looked you up on Facebook and I just, I didn't know if it was the right person. Cause I looked at the arrowhead and I was like looking through all the people and I was like, this guy is the most badass because he was out there the longest, like 56 hours. Um, and it looks like 58 minutes. And I'm like, no one else was out there on that course in those temperatures as long um and so i like typed your name in and up comes a picture of this guy with like a raccoon hat like a like a legitimate like raccoon skin hat and his face is frozen and i was like i was with a coworker, and i'm like do you think this is the guy <laughs> and so i gotta yeah. ask you about the hat man <laughs> yeah um i grew up in south central wisconsin and in we'd done some raccoon hunting when I was a kid and, you know, had always, always liked that, you know, that style of hat. And then one night on the internet, you know, I always thought they were a few hundred dollars or something. And then one night on the internet, I found a, you know, a guy that makes them out of Wisconsin. It was like 80 bucks. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to order that hat, you know, and it's 
got the animal's face on it. And I think they call it the um, Daniel Boone hat or Davy Crockett hat, one of the two. Yeah. And so, so I ordered it and, you know, I kind of forgot about it. And about two and a half weeks later, I get this box on my doorstep and I open it and it just really startled me, you know, because there was a raccoon in the box. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, yeah, I did order that hat. And about a week later, I had this um, Hitchcock run coming up and it's this great run put on um, Council Bluffs, Iowa. It's 20,000 feet of elevation gain for the 100 miles. But they had just gotten 8 to 10 inches of snow, and it was supposed to be like 15 degrees. And I was like, oh, I'm going to wear this hat, you know, down there. And I show up with it, and all these people are, you know, complimenting me or wanting to touch it or put it on and get their picture <laughs> taken. Yeah. You know, all this stuff. So then when I was going to Arrowhead, I'd, everyone's like, oh, you got to wear that hat again. you got to wear that hat again. And I was like, all right, I guess I guess that's me, the guy in the raccoon hat. So um, pulled into Arrowhead and had a little uh, um, smart wool hat liner that I put on underneath it. Put that hat on, you know, thinking I'd have to at some point switch out for warmer stuff. And God, just never looked back. I never had to take it off the whole time. Dude, that rocks. It was you... really warm and yeah. did, did its job. Well, you know you know the reactions. Here's the reactions that the only two reactions that were possible is either someone was like, that guy with the raccoon hat, there's no chance in hell he's finishing. <laughs> or the reaction is the exact opposite where it's like, that guy has a raccoon hat. Like he is going, like he must live in the you know, in the like Northern wilderness, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hope most people thought the second and, <laughs> you know, for a brief minute, you're just like, Oh, I hope no one takes offense, you, you know, to oh, yeah. it either. But, um, yeah, it did, it did its trick. I, I loved it and, you know, got a lot of, got a lot of compliments from that it. rocks, man. That rocks. Well, real quick. So dude, congrats. I mean, Arrowhead, on normal years is one of the crazier events in the in the country but especially this year i mean it's insane like i i truly thought they canceled it i was as i was doing the podcast last week i'm like you don't think they canceled that thing and uh and then i figured out they did not so dude congrats man um i want to ask you a little bit about leadville though just because you know that's one of the it's it's interesting probably going from Leadville, which is this crazy like hoopla, like all sorts of people, to going to Arrowhead where you finish thirteenth and you're the last person to finish, you know? So like what's the what was the Leadville experience like, just kind of in a nutshell? Um I mean there's there's really nothing you can compare Leadville to. Um two years ago. I'd signed up for the Leadville hundred made it halfway and got timed out. And I was just like, you know, it got in my blood. And I was just like, I have to go back next year. I, I, I have to do this. It was my first DNF at the hundred mile distance. And I was just like, how do, how do I get back? And I was looking and it was, you know, you, you don't know your lottery odds, but you know, I'm guessing they're not very good. And then, all of a sudden, you know, you're scrolling through and, you know, this Leadman thing pops up and it's like, sign up for all the events right now and guarantee entry. And I was like, <laughs> well, that that sounds like a pretty good good way to get into it. So, you you know, you start reading it and it's, 
you start with a marathon and then a 50 mile and then the hundred mile bike and then a 10 K run the next day. And then six or seven days later is the hundred mile run. And I was just like, okay, um, well, at least I'm guaranteed to, to, to get in it all. So I, you know, sent my money in, which was actually quite a bit less than if you would have signed up for them all individually. So right there I saved money and, um, you know, started putting a plan together to attack the attack the Leadman thing, and Leadville just—I mean, it's an old mining town, and it just comes to life in the summer. And these in these race events, you know, bring some of the biggest dreamers in the country, you know, to show up and tackle it. They've heard about the race across the sky, or you know, read a book, or had a friend, or listened to a podcast. So this this light this race just takes a larger than life. Um, attitude and it's owned by lifetime fitness now it's you know it's not the same you know hometown e type of race but they're doing a really good job of you know still keeping it relevant and still you know giving the racers this you know this feel um and when you i remember for for the morning of the bike race when you when you're there and there's i don't know 500 or 600 people in this bike race and you know, you're going to go downhill at 30 plus miles an hour, you know, elbow to elbow with all these people. The amount of excitement is just, just amazing. And then throughout the course, all the way, there's, there's people cheering you on and people camping out to, to cheer. And then when you come back, you know, there's 400, you know, people that are so proud of their belt buckle and their accomplishment. You know, it's like these major, um, attitudes you know walking around town and it's kind of like you know do you know who i am i just finished the the leadville 100 and it <laughs> and rightfully deserved you know for all these people oh yeah um and then then the race was the next weekend and uh you know i'd never ridden 100 miles on a bike and then tried to run 100 miles at a race that handed me a dnf the the year before um so, you know, so that was pretty scary. I was just like, oh my gosh, I, I can't come back and do this again. I just can't afford it. We, you know, went out to Leadville, I don't know, for four or five times throughout the summer. And then a month before the race, we ended up, you know, towing our Airstream out and kind of living there for a month, you know, trying to get, you know, get the altitude under control because the year before I felt like that's what, that's what did me in. So then you become, you know, then you start to think you're a little bit of a local, you're going to the coffee shop and, you start seeing these people file in, you know, two weeks before the race and you can, you know, you can spot them right away, whether they have a, you know, they're from a foreigner out of country or from Florida or from Texas or whatnot, but it just, Leadville becomes this, this melting pot of this, you know, amazing family you get to get to be part of. Um, yeah, it was probably one of the best, you know, best experiences of my life was signing up and completing the lead man. That's awesome, man. Well, do you think the lead man actually gets you more, almost more prepared for the Leadville 100 versus just just solely doing the 100? I think so. Rob Carr, you know, did the bike the bike ride the week before, you know, and then crushed it on the run. I think you know, forcing me to be out there more. Um, I had to do a lot more just cross training to get my bicycle legs underneath me. Um, and then just, you know, race day preparation, it got me in a few more races and just the planning, the nutrition, you know, all that, 
all that stuff is just you know confidence builders leading up to that 100 mile run yeah what just thinking about those two experiences um in the last what uh, it's really the last year for you right um if you if you had to take away some lessons that you've learned about yourself based off of those what would what would those be um you know they say you're stronger than you think you are you can do more than you think you can um you know that's a really good a really good motto um i guess if i could tell anyone anything you know if you're sitting here listening to that thinking about it the only difference between me and you is you know i just paid the money and signed up and showed up yeah um you know i think anyone I'm, I'm not putting in, you know, hundreds of hours a week training. I, I rarely went over a hundred miles a week, um, in training. Um, you know, we all have the same amount of hours in every week. It's just how we decide to use those hours. Um, whether it's training, family time, this, um, I'm not a, you know, not a professional. I, no one gives me anything and asks my opinion as far as gear goes. I just, you know, I just kind of, I guess, dream bigger than, than most. I would like to, um, you know, just let people know that, I mean, it, all you got to do is just sign up and show up and you'll be amazed at what you can do. That's awesome, man. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I, yeah, the story from Arrowhead, I'm sure there's a billion stories from this year's race. And I just got to say, you guys, the people who are participating in that, you guys are absolute monsters and you're incredible <laughs> well thank you yeah yeah awesome man well thanks so much we'll uh talk to you later all right thanks a lot yep thank you so much ryan for coming on the show uh i really appreciated it guys if you're out there listening i hope you are as motivated and inspired by ryan as i am um to to, <laughs> to take on that event shows you that like anything's possible. So tomorrow morning when I wake up at uh, 4.30 in the morning and I don't want to get out of bed and I force myself to get out of bed, which I'm going to, uh, and I go downstairs and I stretch a little bit and I start doing my morning workout, which is going to include a lot of burpees tomorrow, which is always the worst, right? But as I'm doing that, in the back of my mind, I'm going to be like, dude, there's this man out there and like a lot of people, like everyone who finished that race is incredible, right? And I'm like, there's these people out there that were able to run 135 miles in the coldest absolute temperature I can possibly imagine. And they did it and they didn't complain and they put one foot in front of the other over and over and over again and they were smart and they raced in a smart way and they stayed warm and they hydrated and they kept all their food as warm as possible and uh they they eventually accomplished it and they they got there and that's gonna drive me through any workout right my my little one hour thing tomorrow morning is gonna seem like nothing when i think about um what they were able to do and there's so many aspects to a story i love i love the whole idea of being a newbie and then being told that you're not gonna finish and being and using that as your motivation to really drive you through it um i am really inspired by the way ryan 
was able to handle fear because I have, I have to imagine going into the race, knowing what the temperatures were going to be, knowing the kind of pain and punishment you're going to face and the possible danger that you're putting yourself in and being brave enough to go out there and step up to it anyways is, is really something like, it's really something. I don't know. <laughs> um, so yeah, I hope you guys really enjoyed the episode. I mean, we can do so much more, all of us, uh, me included. We can go out. We can do so much more. And people like Ryan, people like some of the other people I've talked to on the podcast have really opened my eyes to that. And I hope it's doing the same for you. Um, I've always said since the beginning, my really, I love doing the podcast every week. Do not get me wrong. It's like my one of my favorite things. Um, I get to connect with all these really cool, interesting people and I'm genuinely like so into their stories. Uh, but really like the main reason I'm doing this is to pass off, like pass the goodness on. Right. And in this case, I think the goodness is really showing you that ordinary people can do extraordinary things and all of us can. And it just takes the right mindset. It takes the right, um, stubbornness it takes the willingness to to be okay with adversity like going into something being like oh i know stuff's gonna go wrong and i also know that i'm strong enough to handle it and i hope that's the lessons you guys are getting because that's the lessons that i'm receiving every single week so uh on that note uh we will get back to you next week and i hope you all bundle up and stay warm after this one (laughs) all right Talk to you guys next week.